got nine minutes to maximize your travel and casino experience? Welcome to Zorkcast, powered by Travel Zork, helping you travel smarter, gamble smarter, and maximize your adventures. From airline miles and hotel points to living in the lap of luxury in a Las Vegas casino, you'll find all the knowledge you need to travel in style. Brought to you in nine minutes or less. Now, please welcome the host of Zorkcast, Michael Mason Traeger. Hello, this is Michael. Welcome back to Zorkcast. We have Gilbert with us for part two of our chat with Gilbert about some of his recent articles, or actually some of my favorite articles at God Save the Points. So Gilbert, thanks for doing this back-to-back episode extravaganza. Any excuse to hang out with Michael Traeger is a good excuse. Oh, you're making me feel loved. So suck, suck up to you before we get started. Okay, yeah, because some people might not really like this subject very much, but you know, I think I think it is a is a subject worth covering. So today's topic is based on an article titled Are Too Many Travelers Breaking Ethical Loyalty Perk Boundaries? And I'm gonna leave it at that because we're basically <laughs> dealing with so maybe we need to define what is an ethical loyalty perk so, boundary. So, so let me let me start with this because I want everybody looking in the same direction. And the first thing we need to do to do that is to look in two directions. We as consumers see the opportunities in front of us and we take them. The thing is that we few people really fail to consider how those opportunities might affect the future of a hobby or an interest or an entire industry by misuse or by finding a way around the way they're meant to be taken. And so one of the things that I find very interesting is the relationship between being an aggressive consumer who's looking to get the best deals, which I 100% am, and being the person that then breaks the wheel by abusing the things which should or should not be abused. And my hypothesis is that, yes, people are knowingly doing things which are actually more damaging to the entire travel world than they are helpful. So they're putting their short-term greed over the good of travelers to come. Well, holding on to the fact that this is definitely not a black and white situation, you you go on to say in your article, and you, you put this pretty well, when mass markets of consumers can earn virtually unlimited amounts of points to spend them on luxury travel with no end, it's inevitable that a loyalty program will be forced to devalue or cope in some way with the added, arguably inflated influx of usage. So, like, where do you draw the line? I mean, I mean, obviously, I mean, (laughs) I don't manufacture spend. I have no problem with anybody that does. If that's what if that's what makes you happy, go for it. But the thing to me is that if everybody is able to base, you know, let's say the person makes 60K a year, they're on a pretty you know, standard, lower, moderate, median income household average, but they're putting 60K each month through their credit cards by not actually spending money. And everybody's able to do that, or at least everybody who reads blogs is able to do that. Of course, the points rates are going to go up. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's and, and some, of the, some of the MS people are going to say, yeah, but the credit card companies are still making their transaction fees and, you know, I mean, I, part of the equation. So like, yeah, the credit card company is happy and that's why it hasn't been shut down. But then when the credit card company is then issuing 60,000 Marriott points per day for some people, 
Like, what do you expect? Do you think Marriott's going to keep offering their highest end properties at 60,000 points per day? I don't. Of course, they're going to go up. And then for someone like me, who's not manufactured spending, <laughs> like I have to spend like $80,000 to get a free night at a nice Marriott. Like that's not a fair rate of return. And I think there's, you know, some people are then making it harder for the average traveler to enjoy these things. And I guess my issue is that often the people who are the ones pushing the boundaries with either the MS or the loopholes are the ones who then complain about it when the programs raise the rates. I'm the one who I feel like has a fair, fair like cop for complaining because I haven't done anything. You know, well, the but. other, you, you know, I always look at the parallel with what happened with when Delta introduced spend requirement, you know, to their program for for status and also for earning of redeemable miles. You know, obviously we knew it was broke for a lot of years. You know, I remember back in the Northwest days, I mean, you could figure out ways to become top tier Northwest Platinum for under $3,000 a year. And if you optimized and were willing to fly on those mileage runs, you would be often earning redeemable miles, which miles you could use for future trips. I just say that for the audience, not for Gilbert. Mm -hmm. That's that were more that was almost the price of your ticket. So it was there there was a definite loophole. And obviously the airlines looked at it and said, well, we're now going to say, hey, we're not just going to look at the distance you're flying. We're going to look at how much money you're spending at our properties. And, you know, and that changed that entire game. Now, I'm not ever really sure because hotels have always been what was funny about it to me is that hotels were always aligned with how much you spent at their properties. But I mean, they could start to introduce components that that make it harder to redeem points for certain segments of customers so that could be i mean there's or they can keep making it that you have to have more and more points for the most select properties yeah i mean i i think the thing that it's been proven in in research that customers hate devaluations but then customers who abuse things either via manufactured spend or by, you know, redeeming benefits in ways which they were never intended to be used. And sure, like you can say, yeah, it's, you know, they set the rules. And I agree, like, to an extent, they do set the rules. But there's that kind of fair usage policy, which a lot of people have put in. And when you know that it's not fair usage, I have an issue with it, because you're part of the problem, which is then forcing everybody to enjoy their travels less, because they've taken away the lounge access, or you don't get a guest, or you only get one guest, or, you know, they no longer have nice nice wine because people were taking it by the boatload outside out of the lounge. It's like, well, you know, we all suffer when that stuff starts to happen. Right. And and also it it encourages programs to put things in their terms and conditions which give them a lot more latitude with regard to how the programs are interpreted. And I think it's tough. I think somebody said, uh, I think somebody said on your blog post, which was interesting, and I, this is a justification I've heard before, which I don't really like, but it's an interesting one, you know, that customers feel taken advantage of. So this is like sort of how they, you know, it's like, well, these big companies are always <laughs> doing things to me. So this is payback. And I'm sort of thinking, yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not really buying that. I thought it was, a, I, I thought it was an interesting comment, but I didn't. I think a lot I think, of time, I think people are more selfish than they'd ever like to admit that they actually are. Well, you know, honestly, I concluded I'm, 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 you know, I'm fully guilty of that. There are things that I'll take advantage of that I shouldn't. But I would say I'm at least one of the ones that then weighs whether that will have a negative impact on others rather than just keeping it internal to myself. 
Yeah, well, you know what? A lot of things that I'd like, you know, technology is going to allow this to happen. I mean, if you think about it, there was never a spend component like uh, medallion qualifying dollars on Delta is because they probably didn't really have the technology to track it properly. And then they finally were able to do that. I tend to feel that, you know, going forward, I'd like to see programs actually introduce more customization that allows you to take advantage of benefits, but benefits the way you want to. One of my big gripes is lounge access. This entire idea that you get unlimited access in one guest to me, and, and you see these arguments about the Centurion Lounge and too many guests and people abusing it and what's a family and what's a guest. You see, I think it should all be technologically driven where you get so many visits a month and that's it. So, for example, you get 10 visits to a Centurion Lounge every month. If you want to come in with seven friends and use up all your visits for the month, great. If you want to go 10 times great, you know, 10 individual visits. And I feel it should be, you know, basically you should get a cap on the number of visits that you get per month. And maybe you can get extra visits, you know, if you spend more or if you, you know, things like that. But I I would like to see it more individual because what I hate is if I'm, if I'm flying and I only get one guest into the first class, the BA first class lounge, well, what if that day I happen to have two guests with me. Wouldn't it be nice to have the flexibility? But of course, they can't do that because that would be an exception and you have unlimited access. So to me, I think there's a lot of examples where they can start to personalize this stuff a little bit more. Do you think I'm a little crazy for that? Or, you know, no, I think I think personalization would be cool. I think it would be neat if, you know, the standard one guest policy applies. But let's say you get 10 total guest passes for the year and you can blow them on one or you can spread them out between a few visits, whatever it may be. And if you hit the next stage, I I think we actually are starting to see airlines start to do that kind of thing. But it's something that should go further because I think it creates a much more fair ecosystem. Because yeah, I think the whole point of travel these days is personalized. For example, even with credit card benefits, like I don't necessarily want TSA pre-check. I already have global entry, so I get it anyway. Clear would be nice though. So offer me clear as a credit card benefit instead or the choice between them. So let me choose the benefit. Give me, let's say 10 benefits and let me pick three of them rather than just say, here are the three benefits, take it or leave it. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. I always laugh every year. You know how people get the global entry benefit every year? It's like, yeah, yeah, but but how often it's like, oh, who do I know who needs to sign up for global entry? It's like this benefit. Yeah, I I mean, it's sort of a little silly to have a benefit. You only pay for global entry every five years. So they're giving you the the renewal benefit. That's a yearly benefit. It's a little loopy. So what did you get as far as the feedback? from that article on the ethics of loyalty perks and boundaries. I mean, was a lot of the feedback you're crazy or why are you talking about this or you make a good argument or somewhere all over the place? The usual mix of people telling me I'm an idiot and should jump off a bridge and people saying interesting points. It's worth having the conversation. I would say it's a pretty steady mix. There is no one size fits all. I'm happy for the democratization of travel. I think there should be opportunities for people to who put the work in to earn more points. But I, I think, you know, there just has to be a balance in how we consume and how we use these things so that we can continue to have decent benefits offered. Because it's kind of like the classic like soccer mom thing of, you know, okay, kids, you have an hour to go play in the back, you know, and then 10 minutes later, they're breaking the house down. It's like, okay, well, you know, your hour is now 10 minutes and it's over. 
and will never have playtime again. And so I think people need to think about how their decisions might impact the rest of the travel world. That's all. Yeah, and, and I think that's if, I think if, that's if, smart. If, if I'm landing in a city, and this is a whole different, I'm sorry, but personally, I think this is a whole different bag of issues. But you know, let's say I've flown from LaGuardia to Las Vegas or something like that, and I've used the Centurion Lounge at LaGuardia, and then I use the Centurion Lounge at DFW, and I land in Vegas, and rather than actually going to enjoy Las Vegas, I sit in the Centurion Lounge in Vegas in the airport just drinking myself stupid rather than actually going into the city, I don't understand the point of travel. Do you know what I mean? Like if the whole idea there is that, oh, well, I'll have to pay for the drinks in Vegas versus they're free here. Well, it's like, well, you know, the whiskey in your cabinet at home is free too, or at least it was at some point, you know, and didn't have a 450 or $550 annual fee. I just... Well, it's, it's optimist. <laughs> I call this optimization run wild. People like have paid for these cards, which are $550 a year and they are, and they're not road warriors. So they feel they have to get so much benefit out of it. I mean, also a little bit of the optimization run wild in our field of miles and points is like when people are like, I'm doing this redemption to this place that I don't want to go to, or I don't want to go on this date, you know, because the first class award space was available at the saver level. And it's like, dude, go somewhere you want to go, you know, or do it's sort of loopy. To, it's it's just a little loopy to me sometimes, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter if you're getting six cents per, you know, mile, you know, wouldn't you rather get three cents per mile and go somewhere you really want to go that makes you really happy than get six yeah. cents per mile and go somewhere you not, don't totally. really want to go or Which somewhere that takes you much longer to get there, maybe or things like that. You know, like, for example, we recommend credit cards on the blog and all that kind of thing. I think people need to really think about rather than just signing up blindly for something that means they're going to be $450 in the hole from the first day. Think about what it would actually cost you just to, to use those things, you know? Like, is there a no, a no annual fee card where you could earn similar points and then fly first class, you know, and have the lounge access or something like that? Obviously, it wouldn't apply domestically in the US because US airlines are pricks and they've ruined their frequent flyer programs. That's a different conversation for a different day. But, you know, for international itineraries, you'd get the lounges anyway. So why are you paying all this extra money for something that you don't actually use? Or to your point that you feel like you need to like go gangbusters on to get $18,000 of value out of your $450 annual fee instead of just $451 of value. So. Exactly. And also the other thing, I mean, everything is balance. And you, you you went into it a little bit, you know, mentioning that you do credit cards on the blog. And it's not, I mean, it's like one of those things, it's part of the arsenal, but it's not the only thing. You know, the most important thing is happiness and travel and expanding your mind and having, you know, great experiences, at least to me. And it's true, credit cards help with all of this, but they're not the be all and and all of that. And I think I do compliment you quite a bit at God Save the Points. You don't, I mean, you touch on all of these things, but you don't overemphasize any of it, which I think is really appreciated by your readers. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, we just try to keep it real because at the end of the day, like I said earlier, I might not be making too many fans on today's episode by telling people that they're going overboard but well you know, you're not the, the best you're not the best credit card pimp i will tell you that but, but you're, like, you're not 
you know, at the end of the day, I, I try to stay relatable by, in fact, just being myself and being relatable. Like, I don't do a lot of these crazy things. I know how to use them. I know how to do them. So don't mistake that for, for ignorance. It's just I do these do as much as I can with as minimal as little effort as I can to be able to travel and see the things I want to do. I was just talking to Michael earlier today. I'm really excited to go to Australia in a couple of days. It's a much needed trip my wife and I. So that to me is the goal. That's that's what it's about. And I did exactly what I needed to do to unlock that trip. And then I'll set my goals on the next one. I'm not going out and just acquiring benefits so that I can feel like I have to go out and use them. I acquire the benefits I know I'm going to use and then they naturally just pay for themselves. Yeah. And it's, I think that actually is, is a great way to be because this, I've talked about this before. It's like the loyalty treadmill, you know, people who are like, Oh my God, I'm not going to requalify for executive platinum. And it's like, it's not such a big deal really. And if you're not traveling enough to qualify, it probably is even less of a deal. And yeah. I mean, if, if, you, <laughs> if, if you, if you fly out of like Hong Kong or, or LA every week and you can use the Qantas first class lounge or the Cathay Pacific first class lounge. Yeah, sure. Maybe like, that's a bit of a bummer. But if you're like, if you're only flying out of Dallas, Fort Worth and Phoenix Sky Harbor or something like that, where you can't get in the lounge anyway, then who cares? Like it does nothing for you, you know? So, well, you get a, you get a pretty shiny card. Well, I, I, he- and, I hear and, those are cool. Yeah. And they're very cool to put on your luggage and on everything else you own too. So that everybody at the airport knows. Yeah. I'm I being love a, that. I, and for the record, I'm being a total hypocrite. I do have a luggage tag on my carry on bag. So don't think I'm as big of a prick as I sound right now. I'm well, you know, nothing nothing is cooler than when you see the bronze tags on some the BA bronze tags. And I'm sorry, it's to be hey, needed. It's equivalent, nice, it's equivalent nice. to the silver. It's equivalent to the Delta silver. And I guess it's sort of cute because when you first get into miles and points and you get drug. your first status, it's yeah, it's a, it, it, it is a gateway drug. But when you see someone with two bags and they've got three bronze tags on it you're like oh my goodness and when those people and those people push through the line and shove past me saying excuse me excuse me bronze or silver that's a special Mm -hmm. kind of asshole and there's a special kind of hell for those people but yeah oh you mean the excuse me i'm in business class (laughs) (laughs) my favorite my favorite thing ever just we'll have a little bit of levity with this harsh dark conversation was i was for those not familiar, the 747 Brilliant Plane has an upper deck bubble. Seats up there, typically for most airlines, are business class, and they have very high seat numbers. So the lower deck is sequential, kind of like one through, let's say, 50. But then the upper deck is super high numbers, like 50s to 60s, depending on the layout. And I was in the first boarding group for a British Airways flight once. The woman ahead of me was in like row 14 which is just a mediocre seat in business class on the ground level of the plane. And she looks back and is clearly thinking that I'm in the, or no, she was behind me and she's looking at me and she, I see her look at my boarding pass. And of course, like a New Yorker, she's not very subtle. She turns to her friend and says, oh, these stupid idiots are in row 60. What are they doing in the priority lane? So she assumes that my seat, <laughs> my seat must be miles in the back of the plane, like, you know, three cabins behind her false like you know i'm upstairs in the bubble where all the smart people who fly business class on that plane are and so it was priceless to see when you know when she saw us go up the spiral staircase kind of thing and was like wait what like you know <laughs> she that's was, fat. and, she, I mean, and she, actually, to... she actually popped her head up upstairs to see and was like wow this looks nice i was like yeah enjoy your seat downstairs 
Yeah, she probably was in the center section too. Yeah, you know this is this is one of the reasons why I sort of try to be as disheveled as possible when I travel because I always love those opportunities where people try to remind me I'm in the wrong line. So I figure because I usually am like out, you know, I'm all over the place anyway because my mind is like spinning with lots of ideas and you? things that I'm thinking about. Spinning? Yeah, so so mind? usually. Yeah, so so usually, and yeah. then if you add the disheveled look to that, it yeah. usually is really you, good. You are Crazy the most hair, homeless-looking person in first class. Yeah, I do that absolutely. I do that absolutely on purpose. You know, actually, my um, I have an idea behind that. Is I figure that if I look just disheveled enough, like I get, I push it pretty far, that people actually think maybe he is somebody. Yes, <laughs> that's uh, yeah. That, that I'm, 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 funny I'm working to me because everyone I've ever, ever, ever seen that is super famous on the plane is wearing like sweatpants and a t-shirt or like the dirtiest looking jeans and just looks disheveled. I've never seen a celebrity look polished on a plane before. Yeah, no, that's pretty good. That could be a very celebrities on planes. We'll do that one in a couple of months. I'll call your assistant. Let's do it. I keep seeing James Franco everywhere I go. I don't know why. He always looks hey, cool though. Yeah. It's what happens. So anyway, this has been a fabulous episode. Where can people find you? What is the best way to interact with Gilbert? People should leave me the fuck alone because I get enough dick from <laughs> everyone else. But if they do want to reach out and say hello, you can find me at godsavethepoints.com or godsavethepoint on Twitter. We're going to invest and buy that S one day. But until then, godsavethepoints.com or godsavethepoint on Twitter. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Zorkcast and for also touching on something that's a little bit of a controversial topic and and it, it was it was fun and interesting to to look at and definitely not black and white it's always a pleasure with you michael thank you thank you and until next time You've reached the end of your stay with us on this episode, but we encourage you to visit our website for more resources at TravelZork.com and to continue the conversation on Twitter and Instagram at TravelZork and Facebook.com slash TravelZork. Travel smarter, gamble smarter, and maximize your adventures right here on ZorkCast. Until next time, good luck.